Thanks for tuning in to the Health Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Richie Kerwin, and today I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Amelia Thompson. Amelia is, well, she's a lot of things. She has a PhD in exercise physiology and a diploma in life coaching. She's an AFN registered nutritionist and a lecturer in sports nutrition. And she has even competed as a bikini athlete, coming second in the 2017 British finals. More than that, though, Emilia has probably one of the most refreshing Instagram feeds I know of because of the messages she promotes around body positivity, eating intuitively, mindfulness, uh, which she uses in, I suppose, a really holistic way uh, to help her clients with their nutrition. Um, many of you are probably aware of the negative effect that social media can have on the way people view and feel about their own bodies and how that can sometimes affect how they even think about food. Uh, and that's why I have so much respect for Amelia because she doesn't f- fit into any particular box. She's she's not the kind of person that would ever make someone feel that they need to go on a diet, but she's, she's not anti-diet either. She's something else entirely, which I feel we need a lot more of in the online nutrition and fitness community. Um, in this episode, Amelia talks all about how she developed her own positive relationship with body image and how she helps to instill it in people she works with, as well as talking about her thoughts on eating intuitively and how she applies practices such as mindfulness and meditation to to help people with their nutrition goals. Um, I really hope you enjoy this episode and and even learn something from it, because I know I definitely did. And if you do, I'd love it if you left a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. And feel free to share the episode on social media too, if, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, I massively appreciate it and uh, it would really help to promote the podcast to more people. So, on to this conversation with Amelia. Let's talk science. Amelia, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I am absolutely fantastic and delighted to be speaking with you tonight. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to, to ask you to introduce yourself, but I'm fairly sure that it's completely unnecessary. But um, would you like to give us a little bit of an introduction as to basically um, who you are and what your background is and kind of how you got to where you are right now? Yes, the introduction's always the worst bit. Um, I, so I am um, Emilia, obviously, and I'm a nutrition consultant. So that is my main kind of full-time job. I work with individuals who usually need to try and improve their relationship with food in some way. Um, and they, I do this through a lot of different techniques, but they're kind of the, they're most of my clients um, are people that are looking somehow to improve their relationship with food. Um, I'm also a lecturer at Manchester Metropolitan and another university as well. And I teach sports nutrition and exercise nutrition um, because my background is very much exercise physiology. So I did my PhD at, Loughborough in exercise physiology um so yeah education and also consultancy they're kind of my two main roles at the moment fantastic um you've got quite a an eclectic mix of like current activities um in the past you've also uh competed is that right in in physique sports i forgot about that yeah um (laughs) yeah i used to compete in bikini so i competed in bikini for four or five years um and i finished in 2017 so two years ago i came second in britain which i was pleased with and then um i realized i couldn't compete anymore with people that were younger than me so i quit that's basically why (laughs) 
just just out of curiosity, what was the the overall experience of of competing? And like, so you said you competed for a few years. Um, what was that overall experience like for you? Um, I loved it. I think if you go into competing with the right mindset, it can be really really positive. I learned a lot. And when I went into competing, I'd done a master's in nutrition, but I'd never really applied it properly other than to kind of elite athletes. So I prepped myself for most of the time. So it allowed me to kind of use it as like a bit of an experiment. And also it's where I developed a lot of my mindful eating um, research and techniques from, from that period for myself because I went through the kind of classic struggles of post-show um weight gain and binge eating to some extent and when I started competing nobody really spoke about that at all it was very closed book meal plans and grind harder um so competing for me allowed me to kind of get some experience myself and because I'm such an oversharer it allowed me then to kind of research it and then share it for myself so it kind of molded what I, it molded me in terms of what I do now and who I work with now so it was a really positive experience on the whole. I like competing and I, I think it's easy to think that competing is this really negative thing. Um, but if you do it in the right way, then it's then I don't think it is. Do you, do you think that when, when you got into competing yourself, your, let's say, the mentality that you started out with was in the right place just because you, you've obviously ended up in a good place and, you know, um, having good experiences with, with competing? Do you think that your original um, mindset might have had something to do with that? Um, I actually don't know because I got into competing um, like a lot of people. A, a lot of people get into competing as a way to manage something that's going on in their life. So a lot of people are trying to, you, you'll find a lot of people get into competing that have gone through a breakup or they've gone through some sort of life trauma and it's that way to kind of control some aspect of their life. Um, and that is very much what it was for me. So I had a, a quite a horrific relationship for a, a while and so the boys around me were kind of like, let's go and weight train and, and pushed me into training. And that, and so I wasn't necessarily in the best headspace when I fell into it. Um, and I had some disordered eating habits myself. Um, but because I knew how to research and I knew, and I was quite um, honest with my journey, I could, I could grow from it rather than it making things worse, I think. Fantastic. Um... I, I, I like this is something that we're, we're probably going to go back on, um, especially like uh, just because you know you, you mentioned a little bit of the disordered eating thing. But before we do that, so the whole um, idea or the kind of the theme that we we wanted to speak about today was the whole idea of body image um, and especially body image as it applies within in the fitness world because I, I think within the fitness world at the moment uh, there may be some slightly disordered views of of what a body should look like. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering, how would you like to open a kind of a, a discussion about body image? Like, how, how does it, in your mind, what is it to you and how does it apply to you when you work with clients? Yeah, um, good question. I think for me, it's about dissociating body image from self-worth. And most of the work or a lot of the work that I do is, is about saying, you know, it's okay to want to change your body image as long as you don't associate changes in your self-worth alongside that. And they're two separate entities. And I think that's what the body positivity movement, I suppose, is about. 
um but it can get lost a little bit in fitness in this kind of constant strive to always want to change your body i think that the um the self-worth aspect and the self-worth component gets lost and so that's i would always approach it it as two separate entities um the reason I'm going to ask this is because you're you're very very open and you're very very honest I know with your followers on on Instagram about um you know the own, your own struggles and what you do you deal with was there ever a point within your let's say and it doesn't even have to be your competing career but any point in your life where you were associating your self worth with your image um yeah probably until probably until i hit about 29 years old i think actually when you turn 30 it changes and i'm 33 now um for a long long time um you know especially i think 90s when you grew up in the 90s uh, and early 2000s we where we were very much um had this huge like external force of Kate Moss's etc on us that you know we there was no body positivity movement at that point so you know you get conditioned at, at 12 years old um and then it just kind of progressed from that so yes i i fully did and then i for a long time used food as an exercise as a way of controlling my emotions so it was not necessarily about if i'm skinnier then i'm worth more it was never that sort of situation but it was it was always um if i do this training or if i eat like this then i won't have to deal with what's going on in my life and that was that was true for me for about 15 years um until probably a couple of years ago and that's when i stopped competing and i didn't feel the need to compete or diet anymore because i i kind of dealt with the other aspects so for me it wasn't necessarily an aesthetics thing it was more the the mindset side of things i think it, it, which is often common with people they think it's because of how they look but it's actually a lot of the time not Uh, no, I, I I would absolutely agree with that. It's a it's a it's a lot about our own our own self perception. Um, but you, you did mention something interesting there, which was that it kind of the this this change in your mindset kind of coincided with when you stopped competing. And I'm just wondering, you know, for let's say people who have no intention of competing, and it, it's not even something, um, you know, on the fringes of their mind or their the fringes of their intentions to do so, who are still suffering from. issues with with body confidence and body image and self-worth from their perspective what do you think are some of the things that kind of need to change or need to kind of happen to bring about some of those changes in in mindset when it when it comes to to kind of getting to a a better place mentally that's such a loaded question there's so <laughs> many, there's so many things that they can change ultimately they have to obviously figure out of course that their self-worth is not it's not dependent on their on their body and a lot of that is to do with the stories that they tell themselves and so it's a lot of uh, this sounds so american and california but it's a lot of self work and they have to put in the self work to figure that out and i think that a lot of the times and a lot of the things that happen with my clients is that they a couple of months in they'll say this is the story that i've been telling myself since i was 16 and my dad told me i was fat i've told myself that i have to be lean in order to have a man respect me or something like that and a lot of the time it dates back to to that long ago um it a lot of the time it's about someone figuring out what their trigger point was that made them start to associate their worth with how they look and it, it could have been something that was conditioned as a child or it could be something that an ex-boyfriend said 2 years ago that triggered it in them um and it's a lot of kind of reflecting on this kind of situation of the story i'm telling myself and that takes a lot of work um and it takes a lot of self-reflection 
Um, and so that's why a lot of my clients will do, and I'll talk about all my social media things like journaling, um, meditation, which we'll probably talk about later, um, all the things that require you to look inward. Um, it's not a quick fix, unfortunately. There are certain things that we can do, but it's not a quick fix. Yeah, I, I think um, quick fix is definitely not something that we can associate with anything to do with uh, our, our, our concept or our thoughts about ourselves. Um, I'm, and I definitely want to get into some of those those concepts that you mentioned, like journaling and, and, and meditation, um, because like I say we have a, a lot to talk about. Um, but before we do that, w- one of the things that I kind of want to, because we're speci- speaking specifically about the the fitness industry, in the industry at the moment, obviously there's a lot of backlash against individuals who promote their own image online, as in, you know, people who might put up um, an image of them, um, you know, out of the gym or, you know, an image showing that they have a really, really good body. And there are people who would say that, you know, that's not appropriate in that other people see it and they may not, they may immediately compare themselves with with that individual online. Um, Now, I know for one that you do post a lot of images of yourself, but you're also an absolute proponent of this improving people's body image. And I'm just wondering, how do you, you marry those kind of two, which some people could consider to be almost opposing concepts? Yeah, it's really, it's quite difficult. I don't mean in the sense of I have to work hard at it, but it is a difficult concept to kind of navigate. And I am aware sometimes of, I'm very, well, I'm very mindful of perpetuating that. I think one of the, the main issues that we have in the fitness industry with that, I think, is obviously the false nature of a lot of it. So we have things like, we obviously, a lot of the time people are extremely lean and they're not discussing the, the, the pain, the physical pain that they're in at the same time. You know, they filter, structure, make muscles bigger. A lot of them are on steroids. And that's kind of the first, the first issue. And so with my images, I will do my best. Like, I will still put a filter on my face and I'm quite open about that. But um, I won't. I wouldn't change my body shape in any way. And I think it's about being real. And I think I think one of the issues, so obviously you'll be aware of these kind of Instagram versus reality things that fitness influencers do. And although I think that they can be really beneficial, I think actually moving away from that and actually not not calling it out, because I think that, again, perpetuates it by saying, I have to justify that I'm bloated by saying this is real life. Whereas just stick up a picture that you're bloated and then move on and don't discuss it, if that makes sense. I think that that's one of my issues at the moment. I think that we need to move away from that. So I think it's about being really being as authentic as you can with it. Um, and that's the only way that I can really justify it and, t- and I try and put a good like caption that, say, that says something useful. Because there is the social comparison theory whereby people are people on social media are doing a lot of upwards comparison so social, social comparison theory means you can uh, compare upwards or you can compare downwards and on social media now we are always comparing upwards because we follow people that are inspirational to us in some way so if it's fit in fitness we're following people that potentially are on steroids and are stagely as as some sort of motivation but when you upwards compare you can either be motivated by it or you can be demoralized by it and that's something that people are not aware of and I think that as fitness fitness professionals who put their body out there we need to be aware that yes this might be motivating some people and that's great for them 
but this can also be demoralizing people and we need to be mindful of that and think about how we then work around that and I think that we can work around that by the words that we use and, and how authentic we are and the message that we're putting across um but it is difficult it is difficult and I, I a lot of the time I'll just say unfollow me if it if it triggers anything in you because I don't want to add to that um but it is a bit of a minefield I think you're one of the few people in the, like and we kind of had a, a chat about this earlier um and i said that you know sometimes i look at your posts and like if i look at the image i immediately think what are you going to be talking about now and then i read the post and i'm like damn it she nailed it again um and i'm just wondering what do you think kind of makes you different or makes your way of thinking about this different from let's say you know your average instagram kids for person whatever that's posting pictures of their of their body online all the time because there is something different and i don't know how to um to to describe it basically i don't really know um i think that i've always been really really i hate this word but it's also true i've been very very authentic from day one with my instagram when i was competing i remember the first one of the posts i did when i first competed was a screenshot of my fitness pal and it was a day that i'd binge and i didn't even know that people binge at this point during competing um and i put the screenshot on my page and it was popped up 10 pop tarts something awful and it was really disordered eating and i didn't know what it was and i just put it out there and i've always tried to be really really honest and i think that when i at that time it wasn't that i set that trend but i i was one of the earlier people to start being truly authentic in what i said which kind of moved away from the kind of fitness um stereotype and then i think obviously because i'm in fitness and i'm a bikini was was a bikini athlete and i was evidence based um i remember getting a lot of backlash from some bro coaches about saying that you know i would eat crumpets the night before a show and things like that and people hated that as bro coaches hated that and i some a really well known coach put a post up about me um basically slating me for being evidence based and so that kind of moved me away from that type of fitness side but then at the same time i'm really airy fairy and i'm really spiritual and so that almost moved me away from the really heavy evidence based crowd and i we used to teach lectures and i'd put a picture of, of myself up in a bikini i'd be like this is probably what you're going to see if you google me online just so that you know and so like i kind of was like i feel like i never really fit and the only way for me that didn't make me feel awkward in any situation because i'm naturally a really awkward person was just to be really really like off, like authentic in every in every part of me which then meant i was separate from everybody else because i was just weird and a bit different so i think that's how and i think my posts are just really word vomit and it's just very much I know that it's evidence based because I know how to read science and I know that it's honest and I think that if something is honest and it's got good intentions then it hopefully reads well and it can help someone and that's kind of how I approach it. Do, do you feel that that having that evidence based background is is a large part of that? Because like I I know you said that you know being authentic I think is is something that is kind of very very internal to a person. um and then you said you, you know you've also got this airy fairy side kind of a more spiritual side but do you think that the the evidence based side played played a role in helping you get to, to where you are now yeah absolutely um because when i first started coaching i didn't quite know where i fit i didn't really know what i wanted to do and so i was very much sort of selling myself on being evidence based um and at that time there, there weren't really nutrition courses around so 
there weren't a lot of evidence-based practitioners when um, I started coaching. Not that many that were well-known anyway. So I think that that was my initial kind of strength. Um, but nowadays, there are so many people that claim to be evidence-based and have evidence-based in their bio. I don't really think, I think it's, that's almost just a prerequisite for a good coach now, is that they are evidence-based and, the, and it's like, and what? You know, you've got to have something more. That's kind of what, is that insulting to people? I'm very refreshed to hear that. Um, <laughs> Because I've had a few conversations about the, the evidence-based movement on this. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is very, very nice to hear that. Um, I think one thing that I, I, I want to get into is, so, obviously, talk, when we're talking about the, the whole fitness industry, we're talking about diet culture. And, you know, when people have these ideals about what they, what they want and how they want to get, you know, this body, they're thinking of getting it through either we're going to look at it through um, exercise and through diet. And that will probably run into issues with the the, the health of any size movement, um, so otherwise known as haze. And I, I just wanted to kind of open this up and kind of get this out of the way first and just kind of talk about your own uh, concepts around the health of any size movements and kind of how you feel that your idea of body positivity, along with being a nutrition coach and um, kind of how they all fit in together. Yeah, another loaded question, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Health at Every Size is is a movement um, that is basically taking a weight-neutral approach to health. So by definition, you know, I don't, I, I don't disagree with that movement and what they are trying to do as a whole. Um, taking the emphasis of body weight and looking at other health factors and and habits is really great for a lot of people um the issue i suppose is the extreme are the extremists of any movement like that and who kind of distort the message that is there and make it something that it's not and i think what's happened with that movement alongside the kind of intuitive eating movement is that we have a subgroup of extremists who either through trying to sell a message or to kind of validate themselves and their own actions have become kind of anti-diet and that, and then we get this kind of anti-diet culture and I think that that's I think that's where the toxicity lies a little bit in the sense of you know you can be diet culture on the whole can be very detrimental to some people and some of the messages around diet culture can be very detrimental diet culture Diet culture basically equates thinness to success. And there, there are a lot of issues with saying the leaner you are, the more successful you are. And nobody can really dis- disagree with that. But then, but then what happens with these extremists is that they then sort of start saying, you know, talking about calories is bad and losing weight is bad. And, and that's not the case. And they, and a lot of, they kind of cling to a lot of cherry pick data. Um, and even some of the evidence based people do the same thing and they, claw out numbers from nowhere um, and suggest that diets fail, for example. And I think that it can be really detrimental to people who do want to diet. And some people do need to lose body fat for their weight, for their health. And and they can take a weight-neutral approach. But by definition, things like intuitive eating are not um, focused on fat loss. You have to reject the diet mentality. So you can't 
I think I think the extremes are the, the issue here. I think the actual movement is fine, but merging them together is a bit of a is a bit of a minefield. And I'm I always try and merge them without without pissing anyone off, except the extremists that should be pissed off. I think. Yeah, I, I think um, whenever you're speaking about a, an extremist, um, you're speaking about somebody whose way of thinking is probably a little bit more fixed. Um, or I guess the best way of putting it is inflexible. So anything that runs counter to their kind of set dogma is probably um, going to set them off. Uh, so yeah, you're, 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 no matter what you do, you're probably going to, to offend or trigger somebody in that sphere. But one thing that you, you mentioned was you brought up intuitive eating. Um, and I know intuitive eating is really, really growing in popularity at the moment, or at least the concept of intuitive eating is, um, and probably some of that is is thanks to the to the Hayes movement. Um, and I'm just I was wondering if you could kind of introduce the concept of um, intuitive eating uh, just to the audience, and then we might kind of go into how you use it specifically with with your own clients. Yeah, so intuitive eating is an intervention, and it's quite a structured intervention, and it is a non-diet movement. And it's based on 10 principles that are um, that revolve around honouring your hunger, honouring your fullness, um, honouring your um, health. So it's 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 a, it's not an ext- it's nothing extreme, but it's a very it's quite a fixed intervention. And I'm not going to go through all the 10 principles, but they are things like reject the diet mentality, um, like I said, honour fullness, discover satisfaction gentle movement and it's but it's a very structured intervention and it's not it, it, it's revolved around kind of um like i said honoring your your hunger signals and your feeling signals but also it's about body food choice congruence so looking at what foods make you feel good what foods might make you not feel good and it's about food neutrality so looking at you know no food is inherently good or inherently bad but it's about what foods make like i said make you feel good and and honouring that in yourself, and it's and it's as a whole, it's a very positive, it's a very positive um, intervention, and there is a lot of research behind it in terms of reducing disordered eating, improving body satisfaction, um, and so on. The whole, it's a really positive intervention, but it's not. But it, like I said, it's a structured intervention based on these ten principles with some core constructs in there that um specific intuitive eating practitioners can take clients through and, and they do so do they do it in a kind of step-by-step basis um whereas with my clients I, I take a much more holistic view of nutrition so i will take a lot of the concepts from intuitive eating so for example food neutrality um where we don't use the words cheating on our diet or i a bad food or i, I feel bad because i eat a donut that type of thing and I take the concepts from that um, and put it into a much more kind of, I don't want to say well-rounded, but it, it just in a different approach, I suppose, that's not, uh, my clients might still diet, for example, but they will practice mindful eating and they will practice food neutrality whilst dieting. So it's not, um, it's, it, it doesn't reject certain components of each dieting and intuitive eating. It tries to merge them all together, um, which well, some people don't enjoy. But that's just how it works for my clients. <laughs> when when you say some people don't enjoy, you, do you mean some people in certain movements don't approve of, or? Mm. Yeah, so some some the more extreme kind of um, 
practitioners who may use that and only that, they tend to be more anti-diet. They tend to uh, not enjoy like, tracking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they don't necessarily like. I will talk about eating intuitively, um, but that's not the same as intuitive eating. Um, eating intuitively is really just about doing those things and honouring your hunger and your fullness and not tracking, but you haven't followed the specific intervention. Therefore, it's not intuitive eating. So if, if I if I was kind of to summarize that, um, intuitive eating is a a very it seems like a very very like like you mentioned a stepwise process, but something that needs to be uh, taught and learned. Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, we you, we've got kind of a a different approach, which is eating more intuitively, um, possibly a simpler approach. It's something that you can blend with other aspects of nutrition because you know because that's just you know you, you've got that expertise as well does that sound yeah. about right yeah yeah fantastic um just out of curiosity do you get much backlash from uh like online um from people in, in the Hayes community whenever you talk about eating intuitively i have had some backlash but the thing is is that a while ago i put out a, a quite a, a chain of posts that were sort of said this is why i'm not an intuitive eater and i and i was quite clear in the sense of, for example, I will eat four meals of protein, roughly 20 to 30 grams a day, um, and intuitive eating involves no food rules. So that's my kind of food rule. It's a loose rule, but it's still there. So that makes me not technically, I, I'm not following the steps of intuitive eating. Um, and so I've done a couple of posts like that. I try and be really clear in my messaging about about it, but yeah, I still get like if I put up a video, for example, about talking about it, I've I've had some backlash from people, but it tends to be the people that are more extreme that don't quite understand, don't quite understand, and that's that's just the way that it is. <laughs> or or those who are potentially not willing to understand. Um, yeah, well. yeah. Sometimes I don't fit very many people's narratives because I'm not clear cut, and so people don't really like that. I, I like. Um, I'm going to, to say. I think that's one of the things that I do like about your content is because it's not very, very clear cut, and um, it's just it is what it is. Um, and I think I think that's one one thing that's a major issue in 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 nutrition in general. But like uh, we can say in life in general, but especially in nutrition, we have very very much a, a black and white mentality um, where it comes to either you know like if it's people being you know super strict or people binging. Or if it's people following one specific diet and anything that off the, that is off their diet is completely wrong, and it goes the same. I, I think the same thing applies to you know what you've just mentioned there about intuitive uh, eating and uh, eating intuitively, um, which sound like they they shouldn't have any issues at all with you know being the same concept or marrying well with each other. But um, obviously, some people have issues with that. Yeah. Um, one thing uh, I wanted to speak about that. So you you you're, you're speaking about. Um, you know, having that uh, permission to eat and like not giving food, uh, like not labeling food as good or bad. Um, I, I know at the moment that you're you're currently uh, trying to to gain weight. Like you know, you mentioned it on social media, um, and I'm wondering how do first off, would you mind like talk a little bit about why you decided that you wanted to gain some weight, and then two, talk a little bit about um, some of the practices that you are employing yourself to help you do that and help you do that in a way that doesn't affect your own body image yeah so i want to gain weight because i want to look bigger and 
it seems like such a foreign concept and whenever I say on social media I get I get a lot of messages asking me but why and it genuinely is because I just want to look bigger I want I've never really been much bigger than I am now I've always been like very lean and I just I like it I feel really good I'm kind of at my set point now where I'll go up and down a little bit but I tend to just fall back into this kind of weight and I don't know what that is but I know roughly that body size is is my set point um and so if I eat to hunger now in satiety now I'll just pretty much maintain um which is probably the healthiest place that I can be but I just want to get a bit fatter aesthetically I want to see what I look like a bit fatter and it really is it, it really is that simple it's just that people are like but what but your body is good the way that it is like yeah but so like I just feel I just want to try it I know I can lose it again if I don't want to be fatter anymore. <laughs> and it's your body and you can do absolutely anything that you want to do with it at all. Um, um, so then, like, so you, you mentioned something there. So you said that, you know, you, you've kind of reached your set point where you're, you're kind of hovering around the same point. Um, and I know some people would feel incredibly jealous of that concept of being able to kind of just eat intuitively and hover around that point and, and kind of stay there. What do you think has kind of has helped you to get to that point and, and to kind of to maintain it? I think one of the one of the most important things that I could say to anyone actually listening or watching is to let go of this kind of ideal scale weight because I am probably about thirteen fourteen kilos heavier than I was when I was at my skinniest like before I started weight training and I'm about twelve kilos above stage weight roughly so. I think that one of the issues with that is that people think, well, I'll blow up. And it's like, but when you say you'll blow up, do you mean you'll gain weight past your kind of goal weight? Because you potentially will. Because what will often happen is when you stop tracking is that you kind of return to this set point where your body feels happiest and healthiest and you are in tune with your hunger and your satiety. So that's the most, that's one of the first things you have to do is, is remove that ideal of where you're supposed to sit aesthetically. Um, that's not to say that you can't maintain it whilst not tracking, but it's a bit more difficult. Um, and then I also think practicing, practicing mindful eating is so important. Um, so really looking at your when you are hungry and when you are full and actually getting to grips with those internal cues again, which most people lose when they do a lot of dieting or bulking as well. It, it kind of stops you from being able to honour your hunger. Um, and then obviously if you've been dieting for a long time your hunger regulations off anyway you know your your leptin is down and you you're hungrier so that's really difficult to maintain and to honor that so I think it's taken a lot of like dieting and bulking and I've gone through all those phases for years and before that I did years of restriction non-stop so it's taken a long time to get to this point but it's very much about learning to trust yourself and trust your body again like you your body has these internal physiological signals and they're there for a reason. If you just let go of trying to look a certain way just for a little bit and trust that you can do it, it's that's that fear of thinking that if you stop tracking, then you're going to blow up and you're going to, you know, turn obese overnight. And that's not how, not how it works if you actually start working on yourself and being a bit more in tune with yourself. But nobody's in tune with themselves anymore. Everyone's in tune with my fitness pal, or they're in tune with their days or their work, but nobody's actually in tune with themselves. I don't think. You, you did mention that you know a lot of this, um, you know, this kind of ability that you have now um, 
it, it kind of it, it did come from he said like periods of dieting and periods of bulking. Um, would it be safe enough to assume that you know those were times where you were tracking calories and macros fairly consistently as well? Yeah. Um, so would you would you say like that it was that aspect of tracking that kind of gave you a better um a better knowledge of food and you know obviously the different macronutrient content of food and calorie f- content of food as well as the effects of that specific food on your body would you say that that had a, a major role in helping you to get to this place where you are right now it did really help me it did really help me but i don't by any sense think it's a prereq prerequisite i used to think that i used to think if you want to eat intuitively you need to understand like what 30 grams of protein looks like and all these things and i think that can be really helpful but i don't think that it's i don't anymore think that it's a requirement um i think it can be helpful for people that have chronically under restricted or chronically been in this kind of binge restrict cycle potentially um that that they, their hunger regulation is off and i think sometimes tracking for them can be useful i don't mean necessarily dieting but people, a lot of people will come to me who think that they're, they're not really making any progress, they're not gaining any muscle, but they're not losing any weight and they, their macros potentially are quite low and their calories are quite low. Um, and so for them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say, right, let's just stop tracking because they, they don't really know what it feels like to feel satiated anymore because they've not been satiated for six months because they've been following their macros down to a T. Um, and so for for a lot of people, it can be really beneficial, especially people that don't have an idea about what protein is and carbs and fat, you know, with limited nutrition knowledge. Again, I think tracking can be really useful. But and it, like I said, it helped me. But that's because I probably didn't eat more than 2000 calories for five years unless I was drunk or, you know, so, like it was Christmas. So it was helpful for me. So everyone's different. No, absolutely. I, I think there's definitely, um, let's say, uh, a role. Um, for for tracking you know, with a lot of people but like even even a short period i would just give people uh, a bit of an idea of it but, but one thing that i've i've noticed a lot with kind of some people who for example people who've come to work with me is i've noticed some people who seem to have um and i'm very very uh cautious of using this word but almost an addiction to using um fitness or fitness trackers or macro trackers and they like to have everything quantified for themselves um and like obviously I do use them myself with my clients but like one thing that I really really try to do myself is to kind of wean people off them eventually so that they can get into you know quote unquote real life um and I was wondering what strategies you might use with people uh to help them move away from tracking you know if you feel that they might be a little bit dependent on it yeah um so I will it depends on obviously the client and and how how aggressively we go with it um for some clients i can immediately say right we're just going to try not tracking this week and see how you go and they might have tracked only for a month um and then and and it's not working for them for whatever reason they still feel that they've got some sort of um disordered relationship with their food or they don't enjoy it whatever the reason is and i'll just take it away from them and quite often they say that that's the most free I've felt with food for years and it's just from one week of not tracking completely so for some people just taking it away can uh, is really helpful and that's enough but the issue I think is when people don't have coaches to tell them that they don't have the the courage is not the right word but they don't have that inclination to do it they're just a bit too scared to just do it 
Um, so I think that does, it's easier if you've got someone telling you to do it. Um, if that's really daunting, doing things like one on track day a week is really helpful. Um, if you can be mindful of your food, you know, a lot of people will think that, that just means you have one on track day and then you go into a kind of mindless overeating type eating strategy because it's one day off. And that's a problem that can happen when people have been dieting for too long and then they treat it as kind of an untracked. Um, I'd say binge day, but binge is not necessarily the right word, but a day that they go off. Um, I think that before, most of the times, either before or during, when I'm working with a client that's not tracking, is the, the basic mindful eating techniques that I will use with them. Um, all my clients will do that regardless of whether they're tracking or they're not tracking it's just that if they're not tracking they, there might be a bit more emphasis on them so you know eating without distractions slowing down their eating um, kind of paying attention to taste satisfaction honouring hunger honouring fullness and I'll do certain challenges with them to try and develop that so if it's somebody that wants to remove tracking I honestly just I honestly do say just delete my fitness pal and try it just do it um, but if it is too scary for you to do, then, like I say, you can do it stepwise just by removing a meal or a day each week. Fantastic. Um, so you did mention there and you mentioned earlier in the conversation uh, mindful eating specifically. And you just mentioned a couple of the, the kind of the concepts that are in, involved in it. Um, what one thing uh, I'd like to ask is what got you interested in mindful eating originally? Um, and would, would you be able to kind of like just discuss something like the, the, kind of the, the overarching concept that that's involved with it and kind of what's, what's the, the end goal with mindful eating uh, um, uh, as opposed to how we eat normally? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, well, the concept of mindfulness as a standalone is about being um, present in the moment, non-judgmentally without distraction. And so if you think about those kind of core concepts, you know, when we sit down to eat, are we present? Are we not distracted? And are we non-judgmental? Most of us are not. Most of us are distracted with our phones. We're talking to someone else. We're not really present. We're thinking about what we have to do next. And for a lot of people, we're judging what's on our plate. I shouldn't be in that. Or how many grams of protein is that? Or is this the right portion size? So uh, mindful eating is very much using those concepts and putting it into the meal in front of us. So it's about being present, not judging what not judging what's on our plate and, and eating without distraction and just being aware in that moment of what we're doing. Um, I got into it really... So mindfulness is, is, a, is a, a bit, an old meditation practice um, and that's where mindful eating has kind of spawned from. But I actually got into it when I was competing and I think I did one of my first shows and I was struggling with overeating and a bit of a binge restrict cycle after competing and nobody spoke about it and I didn't really know what to do um, and it was when I was lecturing at the time so I looked into I basically looked into binge restrict cycles and um, prolonged dieting and and if you think of you'll know what the Minnesota starvation experiment is but for people that don't know these you know there was a study that they basically starved grown men and they looked at weight loss in these in men and we often talk about this study in terms of evidence that starvation mode doesn't exist but actually if you look at the data behind that study it talks about the obsession that the men developed around food so it talks about you know one man stole food from the researchers because he was so hungry and he lied about it 
some of them developed binge eating. One man wrote a recipe book when he was dieting because he was so obsessed and nobody spoke about it. And so I just, I basically just delved into the research and found this concept called mindful eating. And there was some research done in the States um, in obese and overweight women who had binge eating disorder. Um, and it was called the mindfulness-based the mindfulness-based eating awareness training program. And what they did is they looked at um, strategies to improve mindful eating in these women with binge eating disorder. And then they looked at markers of binge eating, of um, self-worth, of mindfulness, etc. And there was quite a bit of research that suggested that putting mindful eating practices in place alongside work around self-compassion and meditation um, actually reduced binge eating in these people. And so I just kind of was like, what, what can I do to, what can I do to make myself more mindful? So then I started eating chopsticks and turned the TV off and I just basically just tried it out. Um, and then I just developed it from there and I got into meditation from that and it kind of just went from that, from there. Um, fantastic. You found chopsticks were good for keeping you mindful about food? Yeah, because it slowed me right down because I couldn't use them properly. <laughs> Especially if you're trying to eat poop. So, yeah, you mentioned, like, med- meditation then, I find part of part and parcel of, of getting into mindfulness. And, and, like, I know that you do, you speak about it a lot, and I know that you use it with, with clients. Um, for, for people who are kind of, so, especially when we're talking about the evidence-based world, you, you mentioned this yourself, even within the evidence-based community, you might be considered, and I'm using your own words, so it's uh, air, airy-fairy. Um, uh, about this, and I, I'm, going to be, I'm going to admit, like I, I've used meditation in the past, I found it very, very beneficial. Um, but when I was first advised or recommended to use it, I was like, "Meditation isn't really going to have any benefit at all." Um, did you feel that first? Like, did you feel that way when, when you got into it? And then, what kind of way do you recommend people get into into meditation now, or how, how can they kind of use it to? kind of improve their their relationship with food yeah so yeah I was the same as you I kind of thought what is this I'm doing and I actually used to put on an app and just do it when I was walking to work because I didn't even sit down and do it because I thought it was just a bit silly um but but I think more and more now people are recognizing the benefits of it and and there is quite a strong evidence base behind meditation and general overall well-being um but again, I just I kind of justified it by looking at the research and doing going to classes and things and kind of just delved into it. And um, the kind of uh, there's kind of three underlying um, components to meditation. And when I started researching, I realized how it fitted with disordered eating habits. Um, so it's, they are self-compassion, self-kindness and equanimity. So basically the ability to stay calm in stressful situations. And those are kind of three concepts that you develop as a result of consistent meditation. And all of those things are so important to how you how we eat and how we treat ourselves. Um, and so I, yeah, I don't think it's as airy-fairy anymore. I really don't. I think that if you look at the research, for example, if you look at the research behind self-compassion, we know that the greater someone's self-compassion scores, the um, the better body image that they have, the reduced disordered eating that they have. And one key way of, of developing self-compassion is self-compassion meditation sessions. Um, and so I do, I recommend it to most of my clients, but not everyone wants to sit down and do a meditation session. And, and I would always recommend using an app. But 
there are certain other things you can do that are meditative. So training is meditative or any sort of extreme sport is meditative that requires you to be really present in the moment. Um, so it doesn't have to be a sit-down meditation session, although I do think that's what brings about the most benefits. Um, but like I said, doing something that just requires you to have no phone and just be very, very in the moment. It's why like powerlifting and stuff is so enticing because and it's 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 so meditative because you don't have phones and it's all about working to failure etc so there's lots of ways you can do it you don't have to sit down with an app but it's probably one of the most beneficial things i think anyone can do in their lives if they can just sit down and do it um immediately when you when you said like training can be or like you, you said training in extreme sports and i was like what kind of training is extreme? And I, like, I, my mind immediately went to like doing a heavy deadlift or, or benching or something like that because you do need to be incredibly focused. And I, I just realized now that I've never actually considered it like that, but I, I, I completely understand what you mean by that kind of state that you get into when you're, um, yeah, when you're doing something like that. Um, that's a really nice way of looking at it. Um, I'm just wondering, like, so obviously, actually, can I ask this? How many years have you been coaching now? Um, so I've been running my business full time for only for two years, and then coaching another six months on top of that ish. So okay. not hugely long. So, so you, you're still relatively, you know, um, relatively new to the world of coaching, and like obviously you've got a, a set of. If you're like any coach, you're, you're going to have a set of strategies that you use, um, and those strategies are going to evolve over time. But I think if if you were to compare yourself with um, Amelia, from let's say ten years ago, what would be some of the like the main differences that you would see in in your approaches, and like not not just to, to dealing with others, but dealing with yourself and dealing with your own um, attitude towards training and food and body image? Yeah, good question. Ten years ago, God, don't you want to think what I was like ten years ago? Um, I did everything ten years ago. I've done I've done like juice diets and stuff. I've done awful things. Um, I think I think I've gone if I think I've gone from nutrition and dieting and overtraining and, and the kind of cliche dieting is everything to basically being a life coach. And I I don't call myself a life coach because that's not that's not what I want to be known as. But um I I'm just I think that if you can support someone's mind then their macros or their training falls into place. And whereas 10 years ago, I was very, I wouldn't know how to even start delving into the way that someone's mind worked because I had no idea about how my own mind worked. Like I, about three years ago, um, had like a midlife, can I call it midlife at 29, 30? I think it was about 30 and a half. I went to California to see my family and I had a bit of a meltdown, breakthrough, whatever you want to call it and did a lot of work on myself for three months and realized just the impact of what self-work does and so that's how I work with all my clients in the last two years I don't have any client that doesn't use their trick in like a journal and kind of tell me everything that's going on and and that's how you get results I think with people whatever those results are even there's even research that shows that if somebody is positive towards themselves and you know does positive affirmations every day they are more successful at fat loss than people who speak to themselves negatively so it's not just me saying oh be nice to yourself and don't diet and love yourself how you are it's not the case of that at all it's about saying 
love yourself regardless but if you want to drop fat loving yourself is going to make you be more successful at that and if you don't then loving yourself is going to be great for life anyway because that's the best way to live life um there's anybody who could possibly uh, disagree with that um so that uh way of thinking that kind of that self love and that self compassion so that's something that's very very recent with you is it so within the last 3 years yeah before that so for like i said competing for me was very much a way to control certain situations that were going on in my life and i was happy when i was competing i was i was in a good relationship and it you know it wasn't a negative situation for me but it you know if you go into a really extreme diet It, it, you are very tunnel visioned and especially if you compete you have to be tunnel visioned and that's the only thing that can really matter and it was it was a case of prep work work again do some more prep stuff and then go to bed for about four years whilst maintaining trying to maintain a relationship and it's so it doesn't allow you to work on anything else and that's partly why I only work with select um prep clients now the ones that have the time and the desire to continuously work on themselves at the same time because not a lot of people want to do that um, but I think it's still really important regardless of competing or not and I wish that I, I saw I saw a meme like the other day and it was something like be do be the person or be the person you wish you had 10 years ago or something like that and that's the way that I work now is so different to what I did 10 years ago but it's exactly what I would have needed 10 years ago I just didn't nobody did it um so yeah it's very very it's quite new to me the self work stuff but once you get into it you just you fall into it and you just keep going deeper and deeper and I think I think that's why I, I think that's all my clients realize as well like even the ones that are not tracking they'll still stay working with me for a year and and I think that's what's wrong with the fitness industry they think that if the the clients don't want to diet anymore they're not going to have jobs but it's like if you can work with them to help them in some way then that's not that's not a fear that you should have I I I think that's an absolutely spectacular way of of thinking of how you should be working with people and not not just working with people but how you should be kind of building relationships with people um as well and kind of just constantly i know being there for them as a support and being there for them just to help them throughout their journey whatever that journey is um uh meaning like we we could probably talk about a lot of other things and i know like before this we 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 spoke about a lot of other things that we were going to talk about as well um but let's say we we might have to leave it for um uh, another podcast because i'm very conscious of your time which you've already been really generous with um i know that this is a, a pointless question now but uh because most people are going to know you already but for anybody who might want to kind of keep up to date with you and follow your your content uh how can they how can they find you um the best place is instagram um my handle is emilia thompson phd and i put everything on there so my website's on there Email everything. Fantastic, and I just want to say to everybody: um, if you're not following Amelia, um, and let, let's be honest, like nobody is. Um, <laughs> uh, if you're not following Amelia, make sure you do. Um, like she puts out absolutely amazing content. Um, I I just want to say, Amelia, I think like what you do, um, I think you're very very unique in the industry, and I think that uh, we're very lucky to have you and to have you. kind of fulfilling that role that you fulfill at the moment in the industry because it's something that I think the industry needs. So I want to say thank you for that. Um and I also want to say thank you for uh joining me tonight. And um yeah, I would love to have you on again at some point. Um so yeah, maybe that'll happen. I will. I will. Thank you for having me. Thank you very very much. We will talk to you again soon, okay? Okay. Bye.
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Health Scientist Podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed and maybe even learned something from what we've spoken about today. If you did, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use or maybe even share a link on social media. It really helps to spread word of the podcast and it really means a huge amount to me personally. Uh, if you ever want to watch one of the podcasts live or ask questions to any of our guests, you can do so by following me on Instagram at be more nutrition. That's at be underscore more underscore nutrition. And I'd love to hear your comments and feedback about the podcast. So please comment on the podcast post or feel free to drop me a message directly. And if you ever have a suggestion for a guest that you'd like to hear, please do let me know. I'll be back soon with another podcast. See you then.